back to the uh, Why Hockey Periodical podcast. I do want to say that normally this is an interview show, but schedules and whatnot. And also, we have four games to talk about here as opposed to next week when we'll have one. So we decided to do some switching around. There will be an interview show next week. Second, Just ask me questions. Oh, I can always. That's what I always do. But normally it's not like an interview so much as we're just talking back and forth. You know, doing the things that only Panthers fans could do, which is convince ourselves that dumb things are going to happen. Although, I've been looking it up right just before we started recording the show. I can't remember the last time the Panthers had this many points in the month of October, and it turns out that I keep looking and uh, I don't have enough time to look back far enough. So if you want to tell me, somebody who listens to the show, when was the last time the Panthers had this many points in the month of October? You can. I saw people saying ever. I saw 13. I saw 15 years. It's at least as far back as 2009. That's as far back as I got. I just, yeah, I just know it's over 10 years. It is is at least over 10 years. When they made the playoffs, they had 12. When it was 11, they had 13. You know, normally we're talking about how the Panthers put themselves behind the eight ball in October. They haven't done that. We'll get to that in just a second i do want to say something they put themselves on the eight ball i mean they're not you know they're not running away with it they're not cementing a well, playoff spot well they didn't lose it in the month of october which they normally do amazing right I amazing know. that's what we're so it, it, elated by low bar to clear also by the way before we start i do want to mention something else that's very important um finland is the best country in the world i think we've we've talked about that right one of I don't want to choose favorites. Well, I mean, he's one of our favorites. Let's let's be yes honest. for hockey definitely. Finland yeah. is just amazing, and you know why it's more amazing? Because they hosted Barkov's parents for all those years, and that's definitely part of it. Got Alex. They, they gave Xander us one of the best players in the world. Yeah, but yeah. Did you know that a former Finnish professional has just come out as gay? Hmm. No, I mean, I did not hear that. Well, of course I would, because I'm plugged into these sorts of things. Uh, his name is Yanni Puhaka. I don't know if you know him. Maybe you do from your years of scouting. They definitely Finland's definitely a great country for names. Um, that's undeniable, that <laughs> as the story name. proves. That is a great name. Yeah. But he has come out, so that is officially as many Finns as North Americans have come out as gay in the sport of hockey. So go Finland. Was he was he in the top league? Was he yeah, in the, he in the second? He, in the, he was in the Finnish uh, elite league. It, did he retire or yeah, is he's, he he's still? Not, he's not playing anymore. But I imagine it's relatively he's due to this, due to injuries or something. Because he, I'm guessing he's young. He's 24. So, I mean, maybe because again, this sport is terrible and homophobic in many ways that naturally you might want to retire because you can't deal with that anymore and i completely understand that it's just very old school and mob mentality where if you're different whatever that is it's one constantly brought up and made fun of and two um yeah negative bad and effects on ice and off ice stuff yeah well i will also say that coming out is the most personal thing ever and hockey is the ultimate team game, and there is no semblance of person. Of yeah, person there's no, hockey. yeah, there's no. You don't have a moment. We have a moment, type of thing. And coming out and stuff is a very singular moment, mm-hmm. for sure. And yeah. it is uh, well. First of all, he is great. And if you want to be on this podcast, Yanni, or the other podcast, the Outfield, which is my podcast on LGBTQ people in sports, please. We will not only talk about how great your 
are for coming out and coming out in the sport of hockey, but how amazing Finland is. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to, to get a, um, I think a global perspective or, you know, a different global perspective well, on the, the locker room culture. If you read his um, article on, on Outsports, which I suggest you do, if you haven't done it already, uh, it sounds like Finland and North America aren't all that different when it comes to locker room culture. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's sad. I mean, if we're being honest, the the uh, a lot of those... A lot of cultures are just very, you know... Well, the hockey cultures we've talked about... Aggressive in competitive is, sports. It is. It, it's definitely that, but we also talked about it. It's just hockey. There's a lot of stuff that has happened in this sport, and it's so insular, and nobody's allowed in that it just, it's a self-repeating cycle for generations. And now we're starting to get people calling it out, and that's good. It should be called out because some of the things that hockey culture is is unacceptable. But there's actually a tweet that I want to – it's appropriate because we're thinking about the game with the, the Florida Panthers last night against the Avalanche, which kind of reminded me that I want to go uh, find this tweet for you. Prime example of hockey culture. It's from Eric Prime on Twitter, and uh, I will say this. I coached a minor bantam hockey game the other day. And not him, somebody else. And one of their players took a shot in our open net after the whistle. Guess what happened? We didn't say, hey, what are you doing? Or, hey, how are you doing? We ended up taking an eight-minute penalty, but we sent a message saying that's unacceptable and you can't do that. Hockey culture is so stupid. Yeah, it's stupid in the way that, like, instead of taking a beat and and just, all right, I have 40-some minutes or 28 minutes or whatever left in this game, to when I get a chance to hit you, put a little extra umph into it, or line up against you, find you on a face-off, find you on a draw, you know, take a stick to your skate laces, things like that. I mean, don't be so obvious where you're going to get the penalty. I mean, what are refs most likely going to recall? Retaliatory penalties, like I get slashed, so I slash back. They always call the second slash, not the first. And, uh, you know fighting fighting after hits or fighting after an incident like right after yeah i it's just ridiculous isn't it some people some people think that's scoring some people think that is you know physically extracting a toll and you can do both of those things without taking penalties yeah you definitely can uh that was interesting because we're thinking about this game from last night where a lot of that happened. Quite right. a bit of that happened. How ironic was that? Yeah, I mean, and and I don't, I think there's a lot of reading into, oh, Zadorov played into, I mean, he definitely did. Whenever you start something, you increase the emotions, you bring something into the game and you don't know it's a roll of a dice you don't know who that's going to benefit you can think it benefits you and whether you win or lose the fight sometimes it doesn't matter i remember dan carcillo um in the playoffs for the flyers uh picking a fight with a penguins guy beating him in the fight uh you know celebrating after it and then that riling up the penguins and them scoring like four goals in the third and winning it and then ended up was turning and winning the series oh okay so it's not the 2012 game where the panther uh, where the panthers were in the playoffs then but where the penguins no ten. no but it was it was a turning point in the whole series and at the end of the series when pittsburgh won i believe it was pittsburgh um you know 
someone definitely correct me if I'm wrong. I try to block most Dan Carcillo as a flyer memory out um, and just focus on the Dan Carcillo ex-player memories. Uh, Um, He's doing after, yes. uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, And, you know, people in Pittsburgh and their fans notoriously said that that was the turning point. Like, that sparked them to come back and, and win the game and win the... And, and carry it forward through the series. And whether that's true or not, that's something you risk every time you do something like that, which is why Michael Haley wasn't always the greatest. And I, I like Zadorov. I think Zadorov would be a great Panther and a great partner for Ekblad. Um, so Ekblad wouldn't have to do that stupid stuff um, and could just focus on, you know, being Aaron Ekblad. marking people in front of the net, as we saw last night. He a didn't, didn't do that. that. Yeah, I mean, but that's a seven defenseman problem. And I don't know if that's coaching from Bugner that hasn't gotten out yet or something Kitchens has brought on, but they are fronting shots, trying to go out and block shots, get in front of forwards instead of boxing out, lifting six, and trying to clear the clear the crease. Let's get to that uh, in a second. I want to talk about that hit first from Zadorov. Did you think it was a bad hit? Because I was no, blocking no. it, and I, and I thought it was like... I mean, it was a bad hit as in, ooh, that hurt, and that's going to hurt Howerluck, especially knowing that he does have some injury problems. I, I, I think then they're shoulder-related. I, I, it looked clean in real time. Um, it's just the six, what is he, six, four, six, five, like, Zdorov built guy. is a giant man. Big he took... is not... He took like a couple good strides. It wasn't charging, but he, you know, he stepped into it, well, and he like. I, I think Howard like knew it was coming, so that he braced yeah, and, him for it. Well, I mean, he braced himself for it, but he's leaning down and out, so his shoulder, like his shoulder, was all exposed and took the brunt of the hit, which is good, which is why it was clean. I mean, you know, a, a guy that big and Howard Luck, you know, being maybe six foot. Um, be, having that impact on the shoulder first and everything at, while Howard looks leaning down shows you that Zdorov really wasn't trying to. And, and then the other bad thing about the hit is the way his boards hit the way his head hit the boards. I mean, you know, that that's not great. You might want to call it boarding or whatever. To me, that's not because, you know, if that's a regular hit, that doesn't happen, but it's not a regular hit because Howard luck sees the hit coming and just kind of, he doesn't get crocodile arms, but he kind of just goes through it with his arm and kind of like leans down to just get the puck away, take the hit. But he, he, he definitely he exposes himself. himself. He sacrificed yeah. himself. Yeah, the hockey adage of you know take make the play, take the hit, and uh, you know he's actually playing well in the last couple of games. So I feel bad. Yeah. I hope he's not out for that. Yeah. Long. But overall, in that that was the chippiest. Was that the chippiest game of the year for the Panthers? It certainly seemed like it. That was the, I think, the most physically engaging. Um, like, every time there was a 50-50 puck, the Panthers had to be physically engaged. They had to block out. They had to get hands on hips. They had to um, and do that so much because Colorado is so fast and so precise, um, you know, in the way they play as a team that it's, it's never-ending. It, it's an onslaught. And there was times where it looked like the Panthers weren't playing good, but it was really more the Panthers being overwhelmed by a better team. Um, and the that's kind of natural. The period was that. Yeah, yeah, and that that's 
Colorado's best period and Florida's well, worst period. Ten, no, well, it was 10 minutes because by the end of the yeah. second period, the Panthers woke up. But, I mean, they played they played not poorly in the first. They got a goal. They gave up, again, silly net front goals. That's why Bobrovsky's goal saves above average are so low is because they gave up a lot of crappy stuff in front of the net. Yeah, I mean, that's the, – the issue has always been Florida – losing men getting on the wrong side of them being careless with pucks and that was all over the d zone especially in front of the net now it's just in front of the net it seems everything else has kind of been starting to get worked out but you know whatever it is like i said of getting getting trying to get in front of opponents when when pucks are coming towards the net i don't like that that doesn't make logical sense to me so the other thing about this game we're going to get to the entire road trip in a second like that was a it was a weird game because like the Panthers by the end of the game were dominating because the ads did the hockey thing of sitting on your heels. But the Panthers never really got the reason why I said what I said on Twitter last night is because I didn't think the Panthers were playing that well because a lot of the shots they were getting weren't great shots. You know, they were just taking them, which always used to be a thing that the Panthers did. They'd take shots, but they weren't quality. And that's why they look so bad and expected goals as opposed to just like straight possession numbers. But the fact that they are now a team that I'm not going to turn the game off when it's 3-1 in the third period, thinking, well, it's over, that is that's a big change from Bob Boogner's Panthers, obviously. And they, they never really gave like a sign that, other than the Vancouver game, which we'll talk about in a second, but that's a good Colorado team. They didn't have Rantanen and Landis Cog. They didn't play like they didn't have them because they're, they're just so good. But they still fought back in a big way. And Bobrovsky actually played pretty well after the first period, which was really important. That was probably his second best game as a Panther, even though he gave up three. Uh, The fact that they just continued to just sort of say, we're still here. And maybe that was Uyghur fighting Kadri, which was kind of hilarious. And I'm I'm surprised it didn't happen when when Kadri was in Toronto. Well, it wasn't really a fight. It was more a wrestling yeah, match. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. A I mean, fight. it wasn't. It wasn't seven. It wasn't seven stall bad. But no, it no, 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 no. But it was. It was more like the like Mackenzie Weger doing that, and then Dryden Hunt doing what he did, and also it's just it, that was the kind of game. It was like it was not like oh, there's going to be a line brawl. It was modern chippiness. Yeah, you know? yeah. Which which those games are fun. Those games are entertaining, and the Panthers haven't played those games this year. And it's so, as I said, it's ironic that they played it against the Avalanche, who they will not see again until they make the Stanley Cup final. Obviously, the Panthers' abs are going to play in the final again. So, I mean, I, I found that it just it was enjoyable in the fact that the Panthers fought back. I thought that they kind of stole two points. But even then, what did we say last week? Five out of eight on the road trip and you're golden? Five out of eight. Yeah, I mean, I would have like six out of eight, but you know, I'm not gonna split hairs well, to, they depending just how they do. Their best month of October, perhaps in Panthers history, I'm not gonna split hairs. Yeah, I mean, I I want to go back and, and bring up a few things, um, and let's see if I remember it. Uh, one is Hunt and the bottom six in general. Um, what we used to see in in the past, even with Gallant, and even when the Panthers were at their best, was the bottom six when they got over the red line and there was any bit of pressure, the puck was just put into a space ahead, sometimes really far ahead and all the way down. And sometimes, you know, just chipped and try, you know, chip and chase. Um, That's not the case anymore in the bottom six. You see Dryden hunt. uh, You see Achari. 
And I think Hunt plays a lot more than in Howerluck because he has that natural chemistry with Achari of when they get under pressure, they hold on to the puck, they use their body for protection, they use their stick blade to protect the puck, and they start looking for each other, and they start skating towards each other, whether they have the puck or don't have the puck, and keep possession, um, using their D, their centers, you know, their teammates. And that saves them energy and time and creates a lot more chances uh, and wears down the team, the other team, much more than the dump and chase that we are used to. Well, it's so uh, funny, right? Because we thought, oh, they're going to cycle more. And they do. But did you ever think that the best cycling line might well be Achari, Hunt, and Sevier? Like, I never yeah. thought that that would have been the case. But they, they play well together. And that's why, as we said, we talk about a modern NHL fourth line. That's a modern NHL fourth line. And it's playing really well. It's generating chances. And when you get on the ice, you're not going, oh, well, that's uh, going to take this minute off and go get a bottle of water. It's a it's a, a shift where you know they're going to do something. They're going to wear down the D. And if they score, it's a bonus. But then immediately afterwards, you'll see maybe Barkov's line come on. And then you get a tired team if you catch them in the middle of a, of a ragged shift. And then that's where offense gets generated. And they're not even doing it necessarily. They're a good forechecking line. But they, they hold the puck really well. And you see it all the time. And Nola Chari, I mean, we, we weren't the biggest fans of his signing. But now you see why they wanted him. Because what he can do as a fourth-line center is, is actually really impressive. There is a definite need in the NHL for more players like him. And the Panthers certainly needed it. They never had a player like him. And he's honestly been one of the most impressive Panthers all season, which I never would have called. Yeah, makes you makes you uh, go back to the times when people said that Derek, you know, said all this stuff about Derek McKenzie, and you yeah, realize no, no, the gap between than... Achari to the gap between Achari to McKenzie is so big, and that's just within fourth line centers. We're not talking about you know hockey forwards in the NHL in general or NHL fourth line centers in general. We're just talking about Panthers who have historically have you know not how, been a great team. We all talked about that St. Louis fourth line in the playoffs last year and how everybody gushed over it. I, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that that's what this is, but like you can see as the season goes on, people starting to talk about that line. Yeah, they, they can have games. I mean, any team that goes far in the playoffs or wins the cup will have a third or fourth line that gets hot at the right time, whether it's, you know, for a period in a game or, you know, a couple periods in a game or a couple games in a series or a couple series in a playoff run uh, that will turn the tide and, and help out. And the Panthers have some of those players now. I, you know, getting into the Achari and Connolly, Connolly contracts that we talked about in the summer, we weren't fans of it just on paper, looking at the you know ca- contract in a vacuum with the with the term and everything on the back end, and more so both of them together. So far, Achari's been great and has kind of proven, I think, his worth in the meantime. Connolly has had games I think uh, been, and has shown his worth slowly, but more gradually. Like, yeah, he's he's playing a lot better of late. Yeah. I, you can. See... I still worry about that contract on the oh, long. I do too. Long end, but. I'm not so bad worried about it. Sevier, I, I wanted to trade early on. I still don't. I still think he's the odd man out, or you know, Howerluck. But you know, Howerluck's injury keeps him around, and they're the fact that they've been using Pissick as a forward keeps him around. Lord if if this is the reality, 
right? If this is the reality of Howerlick being down and Pissick being the forward, like obviously don't trade Seager. He's only like what one point two mils. I mean, you know, he's he's fine. Um, yep. You can wait till the off season to trade him if you're going to be injured like this and all that. That you know, oh, whatever. Way, you know what his relative course he was last night, according to uh, Natural Stat Trick, Mark Pessick. Just, um, just last night. Negative three. Negative thirty-five. Oh man, yeah. I mean, he, was, he started he off bad. the game you know rough. So funny. He started it's... off the game rough. I mean, and that's not what you want to see of a guy no, who's fighting. The Andal Pesic pairing is bad. They did scratch Josh Brown, but it's not like it got much better. I do want to say I was <laughs> watching the Edmonton game on Sunday, and Jonathan Willis tweeted something about uh, how it looked like Pesic was playing really well. I deleted the tweet because I delete tweets that don't get much many interactions, but. I deleted the tweet, and I said, it's the best he's played in months, that game. And then he immediately responds by playing really poorly in the next two. I still think they should trade him. I still think there's a bunch of teams in the NHL that could use a Pasek where he'll be better. And I, I don't mean to re- continue to dump on the guy because I feel bad that I'm doing that, but I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, way- I'm, I'm more going to continue to dump on the people who play him. And, you know, there's a lot of people we said in the last podcast talking about, you know, it's great that Q... And and Burnett Burnett sat down Huberto and Dadnoff and stuff when they made a couple bad plays and stuff. But Brown and Pissick have made bad penalties, costly turnovers and goals against time and time again this season. And they don't even sit down. Like they their their time on ice well, does the, not the change. And that this, bugs the thing me. I will say with that is this: is that they are playing on a pairing that already doesn't play or literally a lot of even strength because they just don't play it even straight right. anyway. But, I mean, I, I mean, the good news was, and, and we both said this last night, was, and, I mean, the good news is, and O'Brien and I, were, when we were talking to each other during the game last night, both noticed it. We didn't notice Stillman that much in a good, well, and, a in a good way. He it was a much just a better game. It was, you know, he's not going to be a top four. If he's going to be a top four defenseman, he's not going to be it out of the box. That's too much to expect from him. But if he can be a quiet, left-handed presence on the back end and be one of the seven NHL defensemen that gets rotated in and out, that's going to be a huge help because that means Pissick and Brown, one of them, when everyone's healthy, is out of the lineup and off the off the squad and that's that's huge i think well, to me he had such a rough game against calgary and then he yeah, got yeah. scratched and then they played him again i don't know they didn't play did they not they didn't play him against vancouver yeah i mean whether he had a good or bad game i didn't think he was gonna play three or even four i mean four or even three games of this i think i thought he, two at best was you know but he played he he you talked about quiet game and you know what anton strawman's been really good at this year Getting his partners to play quiet games. Yeah. And yeah. that's what Anton Strawman's biggest benefit He's, is. I think he could benefit from a night off. Um, oh, or, I think you know, there's a definite um, argument for load management later in the year. However, the Panthers now only play one game in the next eight days. Yeah. So it's not a huge concern. But when I look yeah. at but when I look at overall Good point. The, the team's structure. You know, the Vancouver game aside, which I could explain why that game went the way it did, and it also came after by far their best game of the season. Like, when you look at structurally, the biggest issues are what? Net front presence, net front D, trying to take away those men and giving up those goals in front of the net. That's definitely one of the biggest yeah. problems. But also, but again, they're not turning the puck over in the ways that they used to turn the puck over. Sometimes they have issues clearing the zone. 
that is an issue, and I think they need to work on that a little bit, of course. But really, defensively, I mean, they're giving up a lot of goals. But as a team structure, I think they're obviously better. Like, the goals against, I don't think, really show you, like, what's happening underneath. If you look at, like, the, the charting hockey stuff or Micah's stuff, you'll see that they're actually not doing badly defensively. And some of it is, is goaltending. Some of it's they gave up high-quality shots. But overall, as just a team structure, after the first 13 games, this is what you wanted to see from Joel Quenville. And this is largely what the Panthers are getting. And so early it was like, this looks like Bob Bugner's Panthers. It doesn't look like Bob Bugner's Panthers nearly as much anymore. So we've seen steady improvement, I think, in terms of the structural things. Now it's the details. And the details take a little bit longer to pick up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's also, I would say, beyond making the playoffs. But if they want to guarantee winning a series or guarantee themselves a good chance of winning the series, whoever they line up with, whether it's Boston or Tampa or Toronto in the in the in the two seed or whichever Metro team, if they move over in the, um, in the wild card, it, it, they need to improve the roster. And that is something that'll just, that they need to do because what you're talking about is going to happen once they reintroduce that defenseman, when they move Uyghur back to the right side, at some points and they slot in when they have a Yandel Matheson new guy um, mm-hmm. rotation, that's going to take a while to adjust. Uyghur is going to have to go back to playing the right side, which whenever he does get paired, moved back to the right side for a couple shifts and stuff, it's, it's different for him. And he takes a little bit to readjust because he's just used to playing offside at this point. <laughs> Um, well, but here, you know, again, even with all that Mackenzie Weger has had to now do, he's still played pretty dang well. I've been yeah, I've been, he's played he's played good, but you know you, you, you noticed last week and he I still has the, they all have the same issue. You said <laughs> like, it last week. You know, they all have the Mackenzie Weger's your best defenseman. It's a problem. I agree with you on that. Yeah, and I and I think he's still been the second best defenseman. I still think Ekblad has been the you best. Know, and we told you like there was that that article from Dom Lucision in the Athletic where he talked about the conflict of Ekblad's numbers, and I thought there were many ways you could look at him last year and you thought he played poorly, and then you look in other ways and you thought actually no he played pretty well. And we're seeing I don't a lot think more of the, the the best Aaron Ekblad coming out this year, which is which is good. Yeah, I don't think we have the advanced stats measure good defensemen right now. I think we have parts of it. And I think we have a lot of misleading parts that people mix in, throw into the mix. Have you seen what Leafs Twitter is doing with Cody Cece? It's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I mean like, but if we're, if we're being honest, just so I can expand on that. So people who like advanced stats, don't think I'm just crapping on it. Cause I do like advanced stats. I think they're very useful, but you know, if I was an NHL team and I was looking at defensemen, I would I would be looking at like a broken up play metric, something that measures up broken up plays in the neutral zone and D zone or exiting the the offensive zone that they either get get possession back or somebody on the team does or they just break up. Um, you know, Corey Snyder did track that last year with yeah, it's just zone entries. I don't and yeah, I, I trust uh, him completely, 
and Aaron Eckblad graded out the best in the league in that metric, and Mackenzie Weger was also right. pretty good in that too. Yeah. Now, but doing that and, that, you know, focusing, like right now, the Panthers should be looking at NHL defensemen that break up plays in front of the net high at a higher rate than anybody else. Um, and that, you know, especially don't give up rebound chances, that don't, you know, that that have a high pass efficiency that don't take as many strides before making a pass. You know what I mean? Like they just move the puck. How, you know, measure how much time they have the puck on their stick. Um, And over the course of a game, you know, like that's, that's what the stat, the advanced stats, whatever you want to call them, the metrics, whatever I would be looking at for defensemen. And, you know, Corsi, all that X, X goals against and you know all that stuff is great love it but you know that really kind of puts a forward lens on defensemen i guess i could i could see that i think they're incredibly useful but i mean i'd love to see if we could track stuff like that you know how how long yeah. somebody has the puck at least things like at that. least in florida's instance with that's what they're missing that seems to be the best case and for everybody else and for other situations it might not be the best oh yeah, yeah yeah i mean we're talking just about the panthers <clears throat> and yeah. I, I i find that as again i find that you you try to grade out defensemen in these things and since the panthers have had such a specific type of defenseman for so long this is what you now have to look for but I mean, I there's some examples in the NHL. I mean, like Jacob Slavin, I think is well. I think every time you look at defensemen, you have to go to Carolina because they just have all of them. Yeah, I mean, I think Nashville because they trade away a lot of their defensemen, but um, you know, Yossi contract, eh? Yeah, I mean. I, 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 that, that could end up being like Brent Seabrook towards he, the end. He of went game. out and had a, a good game afterwards. And he stuff. did. He and, did. He's been the best defenseman in the league this year. But that's the thing. Like, how, what do you, if Roman Yossi says to, I can get XYZ on the open market to stay here, I need 85% of that for, oh, you can't, you for can't, a, you know, you like you can't I, let, yeah, what are you going to do? You're kind of handcuffed. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, looking at his cap friendly, he's ta- he's left money on the table for Nashville for a while, um, and he probably has kids and stuff now, and his living expenses have gone up, and his saving, the the stuff he needs to save for Those has gone in up. Tennessee, though. I mean, yeah, it helps, but you know, he's still gonna want his a decent chunk, you know. Yeah. Uh. So that was an amusing situation. So. First thirteen games. I mean, would would you say would you would you rather? I mean, well, the Panthers have given out such great contracts to defense. Yeah, would you rather walk into the Yandel contract over again, or Yossi? Yossi Oh, it would definitely be Yossi. It would definitely be Yossi. And the reason why I would do that is because even though Yossi's game is predicated on skating, and a lot of things that do break down over time. I would much rather have Roman Yossi at his best than Keith Yandel at his best because we saw what Keith Yandel was at his best, and that was, again, not great five-on-five, pretty good power play quarterback, but you're paying too much for that. And Keith Yandel also has a no-move clause. And if the Panthers had three defensemen to protect in the expansion draft, if Yandel didn't have a no-move, they wouldn't be protecting him. So 
that's that's also part of it too. And I agree with you. But you know, I, I found that contract interesting because you looked at because you looked at all the numbers that came out, and you looked at how some of the other guys were they're grading the contract, and you look at some of them, and you go, oh, well, that's interesting. Although Micah had a great tweet where he tweeted out the the his heat maps of. You know, here's what Jorman Yossi does on offense. He does his defense. You've seen those on Twitter before. And then Jim right. Matheson, the great Edmonton beat writer who always seems to be behind the times in a comedic way, tweets something about how great Roman Yossi is and that I retweeted that. I found that really amusing. But whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think those heat maps and stuff are useful. But like I said, I would like to see that overlaid with, you know, other things. Other information like that yeah. we'll get with puck tracking. Pucks, whatever pucks retrieved. You know, how many times does Roman Yossi get the puck, like like there's a puck dumped in or cleared or whatever, into the D's end? And how many times does Roman Yossi just go back, get the puck, and break it right out? Like, how many times does that happen? Yeah, Because those things a... are measurable. Those things are, well, you know, important. We'll be able to do that a lot yeah. easier, but we don't have that right, right. now. Because, I mean, yeah, his heat map might not be great, but if he does all this other stuff and then you can get him a right – a right partner that helps limit those mistakes. I mean, I agree with if you. the Panthers, if the Panthers can get just one good defenseman or two good defensemen that handle the front of the net and just kind of calm it down, they could play the Pronger style way where, you know, Pronger, when Pronger was on the ice, he would just stay in front of the net and handle all of that. And his partner would have to go corner to corner and, and handle the puck. And, you know that that'd be fine. I definitely do, agree with you when it comes you can, to that you can, balance. You know, you can you can make it work. You just got to figure something out. So let's go over now. We have now a 13 game sample. I think that's pretty decent in terms of size. To... We're starting to get there for sure. Yeah. So We're, as you said, it, it is 16. They are currently third in the Atlantic after the month of uh, uh, excuse me October. Now. Montreal could win tonight, and they would put the Panthers into a wild card spot. They would be the second wild card. But even then, this is a, as successful in October as we could have even reasonably asked for. Right? That is what I think we were all hoping for. And just say, can this team just get points while it's figuring this out? While it's trying to figure out what are these systems? What is Joel Quenville asking us to do? What do we need to do to improve? And they've done that. Have they been great? Not really, because they've still given up 51 goals, which happens to be by far the most in the Eastern Conference, and 51 is the second most in the league. Not great at the moment, but they're winning in spite of that. They're winning in spite of some of their issues. They are showing that there are new elements to their game than Panthers teams of old. This team also doesn't fold up when it goes down, and it is in trouble. We've seen that in multiple games where they've come back in the third period and ended up winning games that other Panthers teams had no chance to win. So when you look at all of that, that to me says if the Panthers get this right and they get slightly better goaltending, that this team can start to really stretch its legs, so to speak, right? Because even though Boston and Buffalo have had incredible starts to the season, the Panthers are only four points behind them. And I know a lot of that's loser points, but for all that the Panthers have screwed up in October's past and spent the rest of the year chasing, they aren't necessarily chasing now as we go into all these home games. And when you're winning, you know, when you're four, two, and three away from home and you play played only four home games thus far, I think, and since the Panthers have actually been a pretty decent team at home, 
I think we could start to see the Panthers really stretch their legs and start to really catch their stride in November, December. And then in January, you're not worrying about, oh, how many points are we back in the playoff spot? You start to go, oh, what can we do to get this team to be good when we get to the playoffs? Not if, but when. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. What did October do? What did Florida do in October, which pretty much nullify October? You're starting November, lock in step with Tampa and Boston and and toronto uh, no. toronto toronto and tampa yeah excuse me you know you got a little bit of a step on them um but you know like you said the goal differential and the rows are lower than theirs so you're you know well, you pretty much just kept tampa, even they have the same row as tampa they have one with one less game play than, than uh yeah, with, i mean like it's the hairs they're they pretty much even except they might lose a tiebreaker or they might win a tiebreaker here or there against them but now you have to make good of that. Like every month, they have to look, make good of it. Or every couple games, you know, they have to. They have not lost consecutive games in regulation. That is incredibly impressive. They have nine out of their last ten with points. Again, loser points are a thing. But right. Now they, they need to. Done, they have still done things that this team never does early in the year. And we always talked about fast start. And I wouldn't call this a fast start. But no, by it's... Panther standards, this at least gives them a chance now to not have that pressure that always sets on them at this time of year, right? When they look at, they don't look at the standings, but when the fans do, they'll go and be like, oh, they're five points out already. And some will say, well, that's not too difficult to overcome. It's October. And the Panthers have consistently proven that that is too difficult to overcome. That's not the issue right yeah, now. Yeah, that's usually what they're saying in, in the spring. And this is now... But as I said, also, look at the Panthers. They've played four games at home. They've played four games at home. They're actually not a bad home team. And now they actually have a chance to rest. They get a little bit healthy. And then they start to have, like, their next games are against the Red Wings, who they should be beating. The Capitals, that's going to be a tough game. And then they get the Islanders and Rangers back-to-back. The Rangers have been terrible this year. Then that Boston game. And then they play a bunch more home games. They can really start to... impose themselves i think and now they have an idea of what they need to do joel quenville and mike kitchen and andrew brunette are going to have the video to say this is what we know we can do better and it's not working on general systems things now as much as it's going to be working on details and the panthers in november in recent years are still working on systems right yeah they're not working on that now they're going to be working on details and when you work on details it means the other stuff comes naturally to you right it means you're starting to play on instinct. You're not thinking. And when you play on instinct, that means you're a better team. That's the hope. Uh, you got to stay healthy and you got to get Vincent Trocek back into the squad and you got to get him a place in the squad. Now with Boyle, it makes it a little diff- difficult. I mean, it's a good problem to have. Boyle's playing well. I think Boyle ends up uh, being a winger by the time Trocek gets back because you're not going to move Maldon. No, I mean... I think I think it's time to experiment with Trocek at the wing. I think well, it's time I, well, to experiment I with Trocek I think, as... I, I agree with you. I honestly... Th- I, will, I want to see how Trocek plays when he gets We're... back. But when he does, if he still doesn't look like, you know, Vincent Trocek from a couple years ago, then I would definitely say you should play him on the wing. Now, if he's playing but on the whether, wing, who are you whether, with? Well, I mean, let, let's get to that in a second. But whether or not Trocek is second line center third line center right mm-hmm. quinville now has three centers besides chocek he trusts in all situations 
Maybe not necessarily Boyle yet, but certainly Mulligan and Achari. I mean, the way he's been playing Boyle suggests that he sees him as not a liability in the defensive end and somebody you can put out to defend a lead, somebody he can put out on the penalty kill and on the power play, and somebody that he'll play at the second line center option five on five. So to me, that shows basically almost as much trust trust as he shows Trocek. Um, And I think that's going to be interesting to see how Trocek deals with it, how Q deals with it, how the other centers deal with it. Is Boyle going to, you know, when Boyle loses out on ice time and stuff, I mean, because somebody has to move off that PP too when Trocek comes back. Probably him. You know, I mean, I wouldn't. Boyle's, you know, made to put in front of the net. I can't believe they put Barkov still in front of the net. I mean, when was the last time Barkov had a good touch on the power play? He scored. Yeah. But how many more goals would he have if he was playing on, off the half wall? And, I know. I, I, yeah, uh, I agree with, who knows? I agree with who you. Who knows? We don't, we don't know because they don't do it. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, but I do want to say, at least in that particular realm, it's a good problem to have. I'm not the biggest Brian Boyle fan, but he hasn't been bad. So now what the, the Panthers have is options. They never have options. They now have ability to move players around and say, we can do this mixing and matching and we can try stuff and we don't have to worry about trying stuff because we're not chasing the pack all the time. That is something, again, you never see the Florida Panthers have. And that's a good thing. And as I said, you have Mulgan, who has basically become a third-line center and really impressed. He's had... Yeah, he hasn't taken his foot off the gas, has he? No. Oh, God. I mean... This is what we've been saying about Dennis Mulligan for years, and the Panthers never, it was Gallant, Lester said Gallant, but Rowe and Bugner especially, didn't give Mulligan this chance, and Quenville does. And when you get Joel Quenville's trust, as you see what happened with Mackenzie Weger and Achari and to lesser extent with Boyle, when you get Joel Quenville's trust, look at what happens. Like, there, I don't think there's much better in hockey than getting a trust of a coach like Joel Quenville. He's seen everything. So if he says, I believe in you to go do X, Y, and Z, then he's going to give you the chance to do X, Y, and Z. And once you get that trust, I mean, it might not take a lot to lose it, but if you consistently show that what he's giving you, you've earned, then you're going to have it. And Dennis Mulligan's really done that, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's a sliding scale, though, obviously, judging by how they use defensemen. Again, I mean, defensemen are different, and that's also my kitchen. But Joel Joel Quenville has still been willing to change things defensively. This is not Bob Bugner, who changed the defense pairings once in a season. So, that is, and I mean, again, I think with defense, especially when you're giving up all these goals, there is still something you have to do in order to work on that, but... Overall, I mean, that, that's why I'm, I'm hopeful now that I think the Panthers are actually good because where they were to where they are, they've made such a big leap already. And once they get the details down, you could start to see, well, now this team starts to really roll because Barkov scored one goal and the Panthers have 16 points in the month of October. If you told me Barkov was going to score one goal in the month of October, I would have been like, the Panthers are uberly screwed and they have 16 points. So what do you, what's next for Florida? I mean, you got Borgstrom, three games, three points. Uh, he's got two goals right and assists. Nine points in ten games. Ten games. Four, four goals, five assists. Uh, who else? Is uh, really you got Ethan Prowl, who's 
Unfortunately, a right-handed defenseman. I know. Uh, and Ang's got five points. Um, you, you, Repo's got four. Yeah. He's got three and three keepers. But I mean, like, decent. Thinking, of, thinking of NHL options, you have Tippett and Borgstrom playing well. You have Hepo Niemi not playing well. Uh, I think added it, another forward down there. Jack, what's his face? Jack Rodewald, I should say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it I mean, is what it is. Yeah, do you want to talk about? I mean, do you want to talk about how they just traded a draft pick for you know a guy that they couldn't get signed, probably weren't going to get signed for uh, a nobody? I mean, listen, it's the AHL. I'm not worried about it too much. But again, you know, they didn't trade it for a sixth or a seventh or you know another chance. They traded for sign, which is okay. They traded it for a guy who probably isn't even going to be, you know, maybe is a good AHL option. Well, that's maybe. at least better than trading a draft pick. It's, it's something. And and the Thunderbirds right now are, what are they, six and four? Yeah. But, I mean, like, maybe you could have – they need something else. They don't need him. Like, he's I, not – He's not going to help. He's Splitting, not the help. I know, but we're, we're, at this point, we're kind of splitting hairs. But I, I mean, what they, what they really need is Borgstrom down there for a while. And three, three Borgstrom used to get Hepo Niemi going. Uh, he's got four points. Um, you know, Tippett, he's gone to the AHL, and I was a little bit skeptical of that, but he's playing well. So the, the big guys are starting to play somewhat decently and the Springfield Thunderbirds do not look like a rinky dink outfit, which is nice. And hopefully that continues. And hopefully that means by the time when injuries do happen, well, and they will, the Panthers trust who they're calling up. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to see. I mean, I look at the line some nights and I'm still confused. It's still well, some of the, I, it's Jordy. I, I think I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. It's yeah. I'm not a big fan of Greg. Um, <laughs> Uh, so in other words, yeah, hopefully, other hopefully words, that, you know, kind of itself through, so through other yeah. words, overall on this, on this road trip for the Panthers, cause the next time we do a podcast, there'll be an interview show and they're only going to have played one game. Calgary, they didn't play really well, but they shot the puck pretty well. And they got a point out of a game. And they didn't play that well. That's good. Edmonton, you and I were texting back and forth after that. Absolutely. The best game they've played all year. That's one of the best Panthers games they've played. What in years? I mean, right. if, if that is the game that Joel Clanville can show video of to the Panthers, it says, if you play like this, you are going to beat just about everybody in the National Hockey League. Right? Right. That was – when was the last time you saw the Panthers actually play a game like that? I can't remember. I mean, there's a lot of games, but still pretty dang impressive. And the Oilers are not a bad team right now. So they went into a team like Edmonton and dominated them. So no complaints for me for that. And then Vancouver, the reason why the Vancouver game, a lot of people are not happy. I understand that. The Canucks had just come off two days ago, had a 5-1 lead, and they gagged it and lost in a shootout to the Capitals. The Panthers were, you know, in the second half of a back-to-back. The, uh, the, uh, the Canucks were... Coming up two days off, that that I can understand. It doesn't excuse it, but I can understand how it happened. And they responded against the Avalanche by actually, I mean, they played not great, but they still won. And normally Panthers teams in the past would have a loss like that, and that's a spiral. And they can't get out of it. 
but it's 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 why they have to hopefully get Tippett up there and working and and their D improved a little bit because I mean you, you know they're so they're you can have they're a little right. bit of a talent bit a gap away and a little bit of a defensive gap away from you know not having those Vancouver games because they can play a fuller lineup they can. They can uh, rotate. I mean, right now they don't have yeah. perhaps their two C and their third defenseman, so I understand that. And even even saying that, no Trocheck and Matheson on the road trip. I don't know if I'd say. Eight. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, in, in the minds of most people, two C and three D, and they get still five out of eight on a difficult road trip. I don't think that many people are. And again, since the Panthers no, are not, yeah. Actually I mean, that, I'm, we are splitting. I'm games. happy about it, but if they want to get above the the tightrope bubble that they've they're kind of on a trajectory for now and if they want to make their playoff run deeper or have you know a better chance of making it deeper you know these are the next steps they have to take or they're likely going to tire Bobrovsky out because facing facing those high danger chances in front of the net yeah, is, that's, is that's not fun why Bobrovsky's numbers probably aren't as good yeah. is because he's facing a lot of high quality and shots. then you know, then you're wasting, you know, I, the year, I, I your last year of Mike Hoffman, most likely. Well, the Florida Panthers need to play. Montembeau should play on Saturday. There is no doubt about that in my mind. The The Red Wings are, are not good. It's the first game after a long road trip. You're not playing another game for eight days. You can, oh, well, eight days, as in like five days. You're playing one game in eight days, I should say. Play Montembeau, get his confidence back, and then, then you can start to stretch out a little bit more, okay? I think that that's what hopefully they do and hopefully when they come back and they get the red wings hopefully there's a good crowd on hand number one and number two hopefully they just dominate a team that they should absolutely dominate and get a good win and then have a chance to rest and relax for a little bit before they start to play a much tougher stretch that's what i hope that red wings game is don't need to make it dramatic cut down on goals against play a good system structured game dominate a bad team that's what i hope we see in this red wings game and if they can do that then you say, okay, now they're going to be rested. Now they're going to be healthier as they get into a busier stretch. That's what you want to say. Yeah, that's another thing they need to do is start stringing together rows. Um, because they if they can't, five. if they, they can't five. do that, they won't be. They they do have five, and that's that's good. Um, I do no, but like string them together. You can't, you know, you can't pick up one or two and then drop one or two. Pick up one or two, drop one or two. Pick, you know, that's. You need to build that. You need to have not just one or two winning streaks a year. You need to have multiple five, six bit winning streaks spread out over the year of, you know, five, six games where you're you're putting in the work and you're you're cruising. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um that would be nice for the Panthers to do. By the way, I do want to mention one player that we haven't talked about yet. The NHL's actual most underrated player in uh, the league that isn't Alexander Barkov because everybody says that because they're lazy. Uh, can we talk about how good Jonathan Huberdeau has been this year? I mean, he is the second most important player on the team, at least skater if you don't want to count Bobrovsky. Maybe you might want to argue he's more important than Huberdeau, but I still think it's Huberto. Uh, well, I've I now am on he, the very much. He is the most underrated player in the NHL. And I mean, I he might be. He's he's Marion Hosa esque, and and that's kind of was always Hosa's style of being severely underrated. 
Um, and points in 13 games, seven goals, eight assists. Puck possession numbers are very, very good. Um, he's this is the first year I think of Hubert's peak prime, and you know they probably got you know the, which is good because this is you know there's a lot of people who think this is their window. This is like their best time to pick up a cup is these next three years when you got you know Barkov. 23 to 26, Huberto 26 to 29, Dadnov, you know, at the end Ekblad's of his usefulness. Decently young. You know, you have Connolly Achari till they're 30, 31, you know, 32 maybe. You know, that's, you know, the next three years, that's, you know, the end of their usefulness. You got, yeah. I mean, I mean he is he's been great in puck possession. It's all about when you peak and like the season they don't they didn't need to come out of the gate hot. They need, I mean it would have been nice if they like you know were first in the league they were doing what Buffalo is doing and they were banking so many points that'd be great but it's about peaking down the stretch into the playoffs so when the playoffs come you're playing your best hockey of the year. Uh and the Panthers are still able to do that if they, you know, keep progressing month to month and make those. Because I only think they played changes. two like pretty good games all season. Like they haven't put together other than Edmonton like one great game. You know what I mean? Like there've been a lot of good stretches and bad stretches, but I don't think this is the best of the Panthers. Certainly in goal, we haven't seen that. But then you look at how this team is still getting points in spite of that, that's huge for this team right now. And that's incredibly impressive. And that's why I think they're good. I don't think they're a top five team in the league right now, but what they need to be is good enough to bank the points. So when they actually do become what Joel Quenville and Mike Kitchen and Andrew Burnett see them to be, then they become that team and they already have the points in the bank and they're getting to the point where they're peaking at the right time. That is where I think they can be. And they, I have all of the reason to believe that this team will get there. I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that they're not going to get there at some point. And they now have a stretch of 18 of 26 at home. They do not leave the Eastern time zone. This is a, a huge opportunity for them. Following up as we uh, end the podcast, Vili Hanola assigned to Manitoba in the AHL. That makes sense. After eight games, so his contract slides another year. That makes sense. And, you know, the Pesic GM basically... Take straight Pesic to the Jets. I mean, the GM basically just said he played well enough to be here, but what's what's the point? We're a mess. Yeah. I mean, in, in not so many words. Uh, also, I thought <laughs> you were so get something in on your other favorite team. The Philly Flyers? Yeah, we should talk about the Flyers. Uh, well, since we talked about the Flyers last time, they started tapering off. But well, I mean, I, I mean, if you think about it, they're not far off the Flyers. I mean, they're not far off the Panthers because they've played 11 games and they're only, you know, five points back. So if they win both those two games, they're only one point back. They have same amount of rows. They have they, minus I mean, two goal differential. completely lay an egg against the Penguins. But, I mean, I don't – like, if I if I, I watch mean, them and I look at the numbers, I don't think they're, they're playing that poorly. They're a team that really just can't get a save. And it's Carter Hart's not playing well, which is hurting my heart and my oh, fantasy team. That hurts everyone because I thought that they were going to be – I thought that he was going to be the savior and – 
I mean, he's still really young. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. It's Flyers goaltending. I feel bad Soft for anybody stuff. in that. I feel bad for anybody in that position because it's Flyers goaltending and the pressure on those players is just suffocating. Yeah, and then to make up for, you know, if Hart's not playing well, that means you're overusing Elliot, who is, you know, at some point just gives, Old. you know, yeah, which, you know, Pittsburgh. And so I think they're playing well. I think they have a likable team and personality, which is more than I can say for some of their teams in recent years. Uh, I think Vigneault at this point was a good hire in the immediate solution it seems to give in Giroux, Couturier, especially Voracek, a new lease on life. Um, Niskanen and Braun have looked really good, and the D for Philadelphia has looked pretty good. I mean, when you see like Ekbar, uh, not Ekbar, <laughs> Ekblad and Wegar uh, up at the top of, you know, some of those possession numbers for defensive pairings, you also see, you know, Niskanen, Braun, Provorov, Sanheim up there as well. Um, and that's I, I have to say, nice to I thought that the moves were like shuffling deck chairs for the Flyers, personally. I'm like, well, sure. Like, yeah. what, did th- what does this do to dramatically make your team better? But what I think it ends up doing, and I don't think we ever really quantify this enough, is that the Flyers for a long time were just stale. They were, they were stale bread. They yeah. got to be... The word that maybe it's an SAT word you don't know is ossified, as in like kind of there's not a lot of flexibility the structures got kind of dull and boring and they they got burnt out by it so now they've got a new voice in there and sometimes you need a new voice you got some new players it shows that there is a little bit of urgency and so they're not playing poorly now when it comes to friday they play a really terrible devils team who might well have to trade taylor hall now Yeah, I mean, and I think they can pick up points. I think they're a slower build than than Florida, who basically just replaced. Well, and they played, and they replaced more than just the coach and the goalie. They replaced, you know, core parts of their skaters, you know, in that Hayes is completely new. Yeah. Niskanen, Braun is new. Um, They've, and they're bringing in, and they've played a lot. It's not like the same young players over and over again. There's actually. So, and. And, you know, their their aim is to get adjusted over the year and try to slip into a wild card spot. I think that's that's their goal. That's realistic. I if think it doesn't they, happen, no one's going to get fired. No. It's not going to go bad. But I they think that they... have a window than the Panthers do yeah. in many ways. I, I think this year is sussing out which defensive prospects they want to keep, which they want to get rid of, which forward yeah, prospects so are going to make the I don't worry about team. it all that much because I look at right now, the Penguins, I mean, they've played decently um, with the fact that their entire team's hurt. Not anymore. The Islanders are on a bender right now. I don't think that's going to last forever. Um you know, like I still think they can get in. I don't think that the East yeah, is such sure. a, such a, a gauntlet that they can't. But it's, if they don't, it's not the end of the. I agree with you. It's not the end of the world, even though Julian yeah. Voracek are a year older. I think this year it's Vigneault is there's they have a lot of forwards and defensemen who are all kind of NHL ready and don't want to go back to the minors. Uh, so eventually, you're gonna have to start you making. You want to go play in town, sir? I mean. Out of all the NHL, the AHL arenas in area, yeah, for sure. Well, it's it the is, closest it when nice you get rink. called up. It's it the closest nice when rink. you get called up. Well, you I mean, know, it it's a nice rink, and the fans are or, the fans are great. And you know, the the suburbs of that area, you know, like there's a good hospital. There's a good, you know, there's not that bad of schools. There's uh, a really uh, cool you know, song there's... about Allentown. Oh wait, 
Yeah, but the suburbs of Allentown aren't bad. You can get you a big go bed. to Gorney Park. Oh wait. <laughs> yeah, they can they can afford you know a decent house and I, live in a I, nice I, neighborhood and send their kids to a safe school. Between the yeah. two, you know Philly suburb thing. Anyway, I do want to say we were recording this on Halloween. It's being released on Halloween, and I don't like candy. I don't think I've ever said that in any of my podcasts I've ever done. I'm more of a salty than a sweet guy, but well, you know I've had a sweet tooth. I've had a sweet tooth lately. Thanks, I've, mom. I've eaten. Like, I'm eating pretzels all the time. So, I mean, yeah. that that's my, my mom, thing. My mom made me like a coffee cake pound cake sort of thing, and that kind of sparked my sweet tooth. So, uh, appreciate well, it, mom. I'm not gonna make any comments on candy because I can't do that when you don't like any of them. So, is that sacrilege? Or a definitely a a white chocolate, definitely a peanut butter, definitely and a nougat guy those are mine. none of those things nope i'll take your pretzels if you've got pretzels i'll be okay i'm a chips guy i understand well i've been to that that hers factory wherever the hell it is oh i wanted to get married there at the hers factory yeah why not oh god think about the free bags you'd get uh not enough to get married at the hers factory somewhere in lancaster county I'd make my suit jacket like the green bag of chips. Like oh, the... would you, that would be salt and vinegar, wouldn't it? No, that'd be sour cream and onion, man. Oh, no. Yeah, Stop. the classic. The classic Stop hers. Stop this, cruel. That's the, that's the hers chips number one C, number one chip. Oh, well. That's I their, mean, that's if their you one C. If you hers chips, you have no idea what we're talking about. I don't know if you're listening to this. And well, I mean, a lot of sour cream and onions are the green Oh, I, I know that, but if we're talking about French onion, if you're sun chips, I don't but, know if we're yeah. talking about uh, if we're talking about hers chips specifically. I don't know how wide those are. Maybe that's just a Philly thing. Like no, they yeah, they're pretty pretty local to the area. Yeah, so. it might be just like a Wawa or a Philly pretzel factory thing. Um, yeah, I mean maybe maybe because like Yangling and Wawa and stuff are going to Florida. Florida would have hers uh, chips. Uh, well, but like New Wawa, Hampshire, definitely Wawa's in Florida now. I have seen. New York doesn't really have hers either. Uh, well, well, they have Uts. They have Uts. Another. Well, I got Uts in Philadelphia too, but they're pretzel. Yeah, well, that yeah, that's that's a local brand, but you know, they, Uts is nationwide at least. They. I, this is this is correct. So on the I don't know. Our next, next episode, we'll discuss the differences between Utz's process and manufacturing and logistical arm and the hers, which can't, which can't handle that supply chain, apparently. You better believe it. That's what yep. you've come to for Y Hockey. Happy Halloween. Next week is an interview show. We will have uh, that for you. and uh, With Ed Her. With Ed, apparently. No, 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 no. The, guy, the people from Auntie Anne's. How about that? <laughs> The people from I, Auntie Anne's, I got those oh, yeah. pretzels are are just the death. The, those sour cream and onion pretzels. Oh no! Stop! You speak sacrilege. We're ending the show now. Interview show next week. Good night and good hockey. <laughs>